Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. There are many things that loom very large for us. Political debate, global trade, the possibility of a near-term recession, gun control, health care, opioids, education funding, and student debt, just to name a few. Happy fall and welcome again to the most widely watched source of Carolina business, policy and public affairs seen across North and South Carolina for 29 years now. Thank you for supporting this dialogue. On this edition, we won't get to everything, but we will unpack many of these issues. Our expert panel starts us off in just a moment. And later on, the soon to retire chancellor at UNC Charlotte, Dr. Phil Dubois joins us again. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Scott Dorney from the North Carolina Military Business Center, Melissa Barker of Women's Entrepreneurs, Inc., and special guest, Phil Dubois, Chancellor of UNCC. Welcome to our program, Melanie. Good to have you here. Melissa. Melissa, good to have you here. <laughs> That's okay. Jeez. All right. Uh, we almost, I'm not going to say start again, but Melissa, good to have you here. Scott, Thanks. nice to have you back. Great to be here. Uh, so, Colonel, um, what is the single biggest issue that you're facing right now? What's it's, front it, and center? Yeah, it's engagement. It's getting businesses to get involved in the federal marketplace. Biggest customer in the world. $600 billion a year in federal contracting every year. Too many businesses, not only in North Carolina and South Carolina, but nationally. Self-select, no, don't get involved in this market. So why not? Well, you I know, it's, it can be imposing. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, a lot of red tape, but there's a lot of agencies that are available, both in North and South Carolina, to help businesses get started. Obviously, learn new markets, yeah. and in the federal market, get registered, get certified, and then what we do in the military business center, connect them with actual contracts and help them bid. So. We believe that you know this is a huge market. It's not one to be ignored. Whether it's a, whether it's two billion dollars worth of hurricane recovery work or just the normal sustainment work for our bases and other government customers, it's huge opportunities for businesses, large and small. Twenty-three percent of federal contracting goes to small businesses, so we got to get those businesses engaged in this market. Melissa, what's front and center? What's big for you? Women are flocking to entrepreneurship. At twice the rate of men, last year over 1,800 women-owned businesses were started every day. Entrepreneurship has obvious advantages for us. Personal fulfillment, time freedom, right. financial stability. 
But the problem is, while starting a business is as easy as it's ever been, running a successful one isn't always as easy. You've got to have the right support. You've got to have the right knowledge. Let me unpack a couple of things. I'll come back to you in a second. But sure. I want to talk about the women in, entrepreneur, uh, in entrepreneurship. Uh, Melissa, you said something, and I want to read this verbatim because this is pretty compelling. You said, women start their own businesses, have control over their earnings, but they don't pay themselves fairly. Interesting. They undercut their pricing and ultimately contribute to that wage gap cycle. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So while women, we all talk about not enough women in the boardroom, not enough women in the C-suite, you said they're flocking more to entrepreneurship, but there seems to be that, you're, that you've got a finger pointing to women themselves when it comes to the pay gap. Is that fair to say? I think it's really important that women focus on what they can control. And when you're working for someone else, you can't always control, are you gonna get the promotion at, you know, or fixing the wage gap. So entrepreneurship is a way to get out and say, well, listen, if you can't pay me what I think I'm worth, I'll set my own prices. I can only speak, speak anecdotally. I've had the honor of being a fly on the wall with 200 women-owned businesses between Charleston and Greenville. And what I see is constant discounting, constantly lowering prices, constantly running promotions. As a marketer, things that really pain me to see, right? Because I believe that they're undercutting their value. So tying that back to the wage gap, I guess it's a way of saying, you just realize that there's an issue for the person that you're working with you decided to take it in your own hands, maximize that, yeah. right? Use that opportunity to pay yourself wisely and then be a role model for the, the upcoming women that are running businesses to say, you don't have to be constantly discounting yourself, right? Be competitive in the marketplace, but know your worth. Do you see, and just one more question on that, and then we do have to move on. Do you see that women-owned businesses, small business entrepreneurs are recognizing that and taking action to not underprice when they bid or do an RFP? Is, 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 are they responding, in other words, knowing that that's been a challenge? It's something that is a focus for us. So we're all about education. We bring in a woman expert once a month to teach us a skill. I intentionally look for women that talk about money and pricing and how to make sure that you're pricing yourself correctly. So for us, yes, it's, it's big, and I think we're trying to bring awareness to it. I think more and more women, they understand that they need to um, not undercut themselves, so but they don't know how. Okay. I believe right. they are, yes, okay. because they're showing up and they're buying tickets to these workshops because they want to learn and they want to fix it. So yes, I do believe okay. they are. Thank you. Um, completely different, almost random here, and it's not meant to be, but Scott, um, the North Carolina Business, is it North Carolina Business Military or, or Military, Military Business, Business Center? Center. Part I, of the community college system. Part of the community college system. But one of the things is hurricane prep Absolutely. and how convenient that is during hurricane season. We've uh, already had a scare or two and more than mm -hmm. a scare. Uh, right. Of course, Dorian uh, landed. We've got a couple other now that, that are uh, down in the Atlantic. Um, what, what, do you, what do you look at? How do you prep? Is there... Um, are you a little bit more gun shy now that we've had some serious storms roll onto the Carolina coast? Well, it, hurricanes are a big, big issue here. Of course, there's issues everywhere across the country for military installations. But with our installations, principally in the eastern part of the state, they are vulnerable to hurricanes. Um, hurricane Florence, Hurricane Michael together did about 
$2 billion worth of damage to Camp Lejeune and Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point and New River. So that's clearly an issue, uh, but it creates great opportunity. So we just did an industry day with the Navy right here in Charlotte and had 500 businesses attend because the Navy's about to release all this reconstruction work at Camp Lejeune and Cherry Point at the end of this year and into 2020. So it represents great opportunity for businesses and not just constructors or designers, but all types of, even lodging industry. Yeah. When you have to lodge contractors to do $2 billion uh, worth of construction work, that's great opportunity. Mm -hmm. But it certainly creates challenges. Our bases all have contingency plans for moving aircraft and other vulnerable equipment, but uh, you know, they, they def definitely represented a challenge both before the fact mm -hmm. and in recovery. Uh, and Melissa, I know this is anecdotal to use your term before, mm -hmm. but you're headquartered in Charleston, the Low Country. These kind of storms, do these uh, pose challenges for small business and you down there? Oh, absolutely. And Does we, it make you think differently about? For sure. So many of the women in our group are solopreneurs. It's just us. So if we're evacuating for a hurricane, right, and we're taken out of pocket or our internet goes down, you've got major issues with serving your clients and customers. So it's really important to think from day one, right, how does my business continue to run if I'm misplaced from the hurricane or if I, you know, if I, if I own a brick and mortar that gets destroyed? It's a serious issue. Do you have plan B in place personally? As you saw not long ago with Dorian that was squarely headed toward the low country? This was one of my biggest learnings. I went it alone for the first two years that I was running my marketing firm. And because it's hard, it's hard to have enough revenue coming in the door that you can build your team. Yeah. But once I did, and Ann Winters, who's here in the green room, um, was my first employee. Once you learn the importance of having a team in place or systems in place, if not a human, right? Automated systems in place, that's a game changer. Right now, you've just added sustainability to your business and you've taken it off your shoulders. Okay, all right, stay with us. We're going to bring our guest on here in just a moment. Coming up on our program, some of these issues that we've talked about in the first few minutes of this program have been around workforce and what we call workforce development. We are going to take a deeper dive with workforce development. Uh, Dale Jenkins. MC Belk Pylon will be on that program along with Dr. Tim Hardy from the South Carolina Technical College System. And then also coming up, Dr. Patrick Cauley, president at MUSC in Charleston, will be joining us as well. This past spring, UNC Charlotte joined a dubious club of public places that have experienced gun violence and the tragic loss of life. On April 30th, a gunman took the lives of two students and injured four more on campus. Joining us now is the chancellor at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, who himself is not a stranger to tragedy on college campuses as he was at the University of Wyoming in 1998 when gay student Matthew Shepard was beaten and later died as a result of those injuries. We welcome now Chancellor Dr. Phil Dubois. Dr. Dubois, welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Chris. I'm glad to see you again. And um, with all deference to the faculty, to the families uh, who lost loved ones, to yourself, I want to ask you this question, Phil. You've been through this now a couple times in a very public way, uh, in the full purview of the, of the faculty, of students, of families. How do you yourself, how do, how do you compartmentalize what an overwhelming emotion could be, and I'm understating it, and having to be kind of that solid pillar of rational decision-making during a very critical time? Well, I'd say to you it's almost impossible to compartmentalize. Uh, you're affected as a leader just as anyone in your community. 
the important thing is to figure out how to lead them during that really difficult time. And experience does help, uh, having been through the Matthew Shepard uh, tragedy. In fact, 18 years ago this week, I lost eight student athletes at the University of Wyoming in a car crash. And the reason they were in a car was because of 9-11. Their track meet had been canceled. So I've been through this before, not my first rodeo. But I'd say that, that helped. It's also helpful to practice. We were well rehearsed for a mass tragedy on our campus. We've been doing tabletop drills for mm -hmm. years and years, as long as I've been chancellor. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the other thing I think is you have to have a value fix on the, on the victims. If you can keep your team focused on the victims and avoid all the other distractions, uh, you'll, you'll be just fine. And I think the morning after the shooting, I sat down with my team and I said, here's issue number one, stay focused on the victims and their families. And if you do that, we'll get through this just fine. And they did a magnificent job. Was it hard, to, and I don't want to chase this down too much, Dr. Duval, because I know you're probably emotionally exhausted about it. Is it hard to stay focused on the victims when you've got so much hyperbole around gun violence and, and policy in this country? Yes. And there's, there are all kinds of distractions that come on board. Uh, people want to revisit the why. Why did this happen? They want to revisit um, how does the chancellor feel about gun, guns and gun violence and all those kinds of things. We're a public institution. I explain to people uh, <clears throat> there are lots of positions on gun control. We represent everybody. We're not we're not out here to um, make mm -hmm. a public statement about gun, gun control or um, banning guns. We're here to focus on those victims and the recovery of our campus community. I mean, just this fall, we had 30% more students go into our counseling and psychological services center than we had in the spring before the tragedy. So it, it's something that affects different people in different ways. And, and my job is to make sure my team supports each mm -hmm. and every one of them. And here you are in a, uh, a new school season. Yes. Uh, six months past the incident, you've got, uh, you've got a school that probably has the highest enrollment it's ever had. Is that fair to say? We actually went down a little bit this fall, about 95 students from where we were last fall, which was our all-time high of uh, 29,710. Uh, we lost about 300 undergraduates compared to last year. I can track about 250 of those losses directly to the shooting. Really? We made up for it on the graduate side. We had the highest graduate enrollment we've ever had, uh, and we have over 1,000 doctoral students now. So uh, we'll recover from this, but it's, it's to be expected that when freshman students are thinking about coming to a university in the next fall and there's a shooting, mom and dad are saying, well, let's rethink this. And that's what happened. Well, well let's look forward, and I promise I'm going to give you a chance <laughs> to ask. So UNC Charlotte has had one of the highest growth rates of any of the UNC system schools. How do you manage that? I mean, it's a good problem to have, but still, how do you manage through that kind of exceptional? Well, we, we probably have had 24 underlying planning studies over the years. <laughs> we've had enrollment plans. We've had master plans for facilities development. We've had parking and transportation plans. Uh, we figured out how to build a center city building so that not all the pressure was on the main campus. We've added in some online education so that about 15% of our credit hours go online. So a variety of strategies. I'd say the, um, maybe the worst part of it has been listening to people uh, whine about parking, but it is a real problem. And so we went with light rail and now we have the light rail serving our campus and, and more students than ever are on the train every morning coming to campus, which is good for us because it gets them out of their cars.
Scott, question? We are fortunate here in North Carolina to be a military state, have six major installations, the third highest number of military people of any state in the country. Uh, and about 16,000 of those soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines exit the service every year right here in North Carolina. Can you speak to some of the veteran programs or programs that you may have to help capture some of that workforce, which is a great engine for economic development here sure. in North Carolina? Well, veterans are part of our DNA because UNC Charlotte was Charlotte College, and before it was Charlotte College, it was the uh, Charlotte Center of the University of North Carolina. And, and so Chapel Hill came to Charlotte and other places, including Wilmington, to establish centers to educate the returning veterans from World War II with their GI Bill. So that explained when we became Charlotte College, we were serving more veterans even still, and now as the university as well. Uh, we have a Veterans Student Service Center. We have special uh, folks in admissions and financial aid who work with them on their admissions and benefits. Uh, and then of course we have a Memorial Hall on our campus which honors fallen veterans, but is also the home to our two major uh, ROTC programs, one in the Army and one in the Air Force. And we're about to actually have a memorial park next to that building. So. We've tried to stay true to the original purpose of UNC Charlotte, and I think we've done a pretty good job of mm -hmm. it. Great. Melissa? I have the honor of speaking to the women that are getting ready to graduate from the College of Charleston in November. From your perspective, what, what do not miss things should I, should I say or include in that talk? Well, 52% of our students are women as well, so obviously that there's a broader audience for the whatever message. Uh, obviously, um, prepare to go to class, make sure, <laughs> read the material before you go, uh, pay attention to the professor, get, uh, go to office hours and, and find a collective group of, of supportive students who can help you. I think the most important thing we advise students is, is uh, when you leave the university, you've got to be prepared to learn over and over and over again as you grow. You'll mm -hmm. change jobs 10 or 12 times. You'll be asked for a new set of skills, but you've got to make sure you know how to read, write, speak, think, mm -hmm. work in teams, um, manipulate data. All of those things are important. As people, uh, I would have never imagined I was gonna be a college president. I mean, it's brought out a set of skills and, that I needed to develop, but I can trace almost all of them back to my original college education. When when you went to school, oh my God, funding, <laughs> no, but funding was different. Yes, uh, tuition was different. Yes, um, we've got one point, and, and Dr. Dubois, I know you know this, but we've got 1.7 trillion dollars in student debt in this country. 44 billion in North Carolina, 23 billion in South Carolina. And these are not small numbers, and they're getting larger. As a college president, I know you're sensitive to it because I know you personally. But as a as being professionally sensitive to it, how how do you how do you talk to families and students about the increasingly, uh, the increasingly, the, the increases in, in the college education cost, and not just factoring it out over their lifetime, but just the plain that it's almost like joining an elite club to get into a college and then you have to pay for it. I mean, it seems like an overwhelming uh, mountain for some people. It, it personally matters to me because when I went to the University of California at Davis in the late 60s, early 70s, just so you know, uh, uh, I was paying $150 per year in tuition. And of course that would have been impossible today. The only way I could have gotten a higher education was at a public university. So I am sensitive to it personally and professionally. 
Within that statistic that you cite, though, is a vast variety, variety of circumstances, both for individuals and institutions. So let me just tell you the UNC Charlotte story. 75% of our students are coming in needing financial aid. We have the largest number of Pell recipients in the UNC system. That's for the neediest students in the federal aid program. 75% uh, of the aid that we're able to provide those students after Pell is in loans usually federally subsidized or unsubsidized loans. So our students are going to graduate debt. What do we do about it? Well, first of all, in our $200 million exponential private fundraising campaign, which I will wrap up before I retire, mm -hmm. the biggest chunk of those dollars are for student financial aid. And the second thing is to focus attention on getting students not only in, but out and out quicker. And that includes not only support services and good advising, but it also includes policy changes so students aren't allowed to repeat courses endlessly, uh, that they don't stay longer than they, than they, than they should. Um, and so our students, we're bringing our debt level down. But I got to say to you that, that um, the age of an institution can matter. Mm -hmm. Chapel Hill, as an example, is, is uh, bringing in students and they're able to support them because they've had a long tradition of private philanthropy. Ours is much younger. We were only established in 1946 and only became a four-year school in 1965. Mm -hmm. So it'll change over time, but uh, yeah, we are sensitive to it and we try to make sure that we keep those increases as modest as we can. And I don't want to say that the system is broken, but isn't, isn't, there a, uh, isn't there a different way of looking at this? Instead of saying, well, we're going to raise a whole bunch of money in endowments and funding and loans and special grants, Instead of addressing the problem at the increased cost of education, plain and simple, at the source. I, I disagree with the increased cost of education analysis. I would say to you that if you looked at the public support, the state investment in higher education, although it's gone up in real dollars, it hasn't gone up as a proportion of the total. So when I started as chancellor, the state appropriation was about 80% of our core academic budget. It's now about 60% mm -hmm. of our core academic budget. We're grateful for the appropriation for sure, but it is a declining and ever declining proportion of the total. And that's, that obviously then turns around to the question of, well, do you cut academic programs or do you, you try to have your students help a little bit? We've done both. Yeah, okay, Scott. One issue I think that faces businesses in all sectors and certainly in defense contracting. In fact, next year, all defense contractors, whether they're prime subs or even suppliers, will have to be certified that they're compliant with basic cybersecurity standards. <laughs> I know that UNC Charlotte's been engaged in cybersecurity for quite some time at NSA certified center of excellence for uh, education and cybersecurity. Can you talk to those programs and what you offer to businesses and workforce development within information security? Well, you're, you're quite right. In fact, our College of Computing and Informatics is the largest in the state. And so we're turning out many, many um, well-prepared graduates to go into the workforce, to, to go into government, uh, and, and to take those skills across the, the board of what's in information technology, including but not limited to cybersecurity. As you said, we have that NSA certified center. We also have, happen to have a secure facility on campus should we have classified research that we need to do. Uh, we've just hired a new associate vice chancellor for government and industry partnerships to build that inventory. 
Uh, and this year, for the second time in a row, we finally went over $50 million in funded external research, the vast majority of which is from the federal government, National Science Foundation, National Institutes of Health, uh, and the like. We'd really like to increase our government work, uh, particularly with military. And we've got faculty members in a variety of disciplines who can help with that beyond the cybersecurity. Right. And, and uh, mm -hmm. that's part of our desire to grow our institution is to be able to broaden the uh, inventory of academic programs that we have that industry and government needs. Uh, a good example would be our data security initiative of a few years ago. Mm -hmm. We had no program in data science and we just saw that coming down the track and said well, we, we got to get started with that and it's, it's now a very large and successful um, master's program. We will soon expand that to the undergraduate level and then also possibly a PhD. Great. Melissa, we have about a minute left. With, all right, with one minute, what would How's your football team going to do? Yeah. Oh, man, I think no, they're no, going to no. do great. You can't Thanks ask for asking. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? Well, as I retire next year, I, I feel very good about what's happened at UNC Charlotte, the growth of the school, the $1.2 billion worth of construction. Uh, we did start a football program. We did build a center city building. We brought light rail onto our campus. We've added 10 doctoral programs since I've been there and we've had these signature initiatives in energy and, and data science. So uh, if I could get a winning football season out of the deal, I would be, uh, I feel like it was a career capper. There you go. So I'm counting on Will Healy, our new coach, to, to give me that seven wins so I can go to a bowl game. All right. you know, and, you did, and you did say this pretty, and we're literally almost on time. You did say this is almost a passing comment that, oh yeah, and you got a light rail spur. Not a lot of schools get no. light rail and get the community to buy into the school that way. So light, well done. Light, light rail has made a world of difference and will in the future as, uh, as our students go downtown. Uh, I often joke that they go downtown for their internships on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is they have opportunities for working with business that are much easier yeah. than going down and paying 20 bucks for parking. Uh, Dr. Dubois, thank you for your leadership. Thanks for, being, of course, being on the program and, and all you've done in the school and as well as is the region. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to see you. Melissa, thank you for being on the program. Please come back. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Colonel, I know you'll say Scott, but thanks for being on the thanks, program. Thanks, Chris, appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Chris Woody, and we hope, of course, your business and that your weekend is good. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.